Hello, hello, hello. We're on? Okay, that's great. Thanks, Jack. Well, springtime. Margaret it's Tharp such and a David nice, Lindrum. It's such a soft day today. I'm just so thrilled it's not freezing cold. Aren't you, though? Uh-huh. And it's not snowing quite yet? Got a well, call. there's a call already. Good morning. Um, I'd like to know, if you know about those crab apple trees, that the apples was about as big as a half dollar. Okay. Um, it was probably heirloom or something. Um, we had a neighbor when I was a little kid, and they was delicious. And But um, I don't know. Have you been to Skagway lately? No, I have not. I mean, in the town of Skagway, they have all over town. They've got great big crab apple trees that are like that, and have have mm-hmm. fruit that are oh, they're bigger than I, they're probably the size of a silver dollar. Do you know their names, David? I don't know what the name of that one is. Centurion, I think, is the most famous one. The one that we see most around Juno, that's a, a big size crab apple, is called Dolgo. D O L G O. And there's a bunch of them growing right in front of the Jordan Creek Mall, right in that planting area as you walk in. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, because I've been trying to find those, and I haven't been able, you know, to find them in a catalog or or, or any place. So, send um, me, ma'am, send me an email, and I'll send you back the name of a couple places you can buy them. Well, my problem is I don't know how to do the Internet. <laughs> oh, Okay. Well, uh, you should call... Call me up on the telephone. Call David on the telephone when we're not on the radio. Okay. And he'll be able to give you some information. You bet. That's the way to do it. So much. Have a good morning. It's so nice to hear your voice. Such a pleasure, yes. Happy spring. Okay, yes, we're, uh, we're unpacking our greenhouses. You know, it's, the winter has been long for us. We're in the this back of the This winter and last winter. Re- this, this winter has really been long. Uh, yeah, well, you must have been on drugs last winter because it was really long, It too. was really long last winter. <laughs> it's really long this winter. That's right. <laughs> Getting rid of all that snow has been a bear. And, and uh, our house is in a particularly bad spot for it, being up in elevation and a mile from the glacier. It attracts a lot of snow. Yes, it is. And, and our ground's still frozen. We've still got plenty of snow on the ground there. But as we get the trees and shrubs out of their winter storage, they start to come to life. It's such an exciting time. And they immediately respond to the... Because we keep them in a greenhouse that's covered with white plastic so that it doesn't get hot in there when the sun does shine on them. So they have an ambient light, but they don't have real sunlight. So when they come outside in our yard and we water them, they just immediately, within 24 hours, have a completely different aspect to them. They look so different, don't they? They look so happy. In just a couple days, the buds start swelling. It's pretty exciting this time of year. That's right. We're going to prune trees today. That's our goal today. Margaret and I are going to be working in the nursery today with our pruning shears, going through the stuff and getting it all, you know, spiffed up. Any damaged branches from the winter are going to get cut out. We'll train new things. One of the Getting things ready that, for our pr- products that coming in this there's week. There's a whole load of stuff coming in this week, a yes. tremendous amount. And and one of the things that happens in the the winter time is that sometimes the tops of evergreen trees get killed, or the burnt leaves on rhododendrons. And rhododendron leaves, even if they're out in your garden, if they get burnt from wind or ice damage you can pick the leaves off and they will grow new leaves that they if will. the branch gets broken you should cut it back so it's not on the 
the shrub anymore and it will grow out again rhododendrons are very forgiving and and really really resilient and one of the nice things about rhododendron is that if it if it's one of those plants that doesn't have any foliage down on the bottom and just a few leaves up at the top you can cut those branches back down into the part that doesn't have any leaves on them and they'll grow new leaves down there when we have a couple, I don't know what the variety is. It doesn't look like one of our regular varieties that were damaged from where they were in the greenhouse. And we're going to take them over to the nursery area and uh, prune those. And th- we could use those as an example of how to take care of rhododendrons. I have a couple that I used as an example in my pruning class two years ago. And I, I did that exactly that. I, they had leaves at the top and no leaves down below. And I cut them back to just being bare stubs. And the people that in our pruning class were, oh, but you know, two years later, they're nice and thick and bushy and got new leaves all over the bottom part of them. Great. Yep, they look very good, very nice. You mean you actually know what you're doing? I'm so relieved. Well, that you know. <laughs> so Margaret and I have a, a nursery and landscape business called Landscape Alaska, and we have a, a boutique nursery on the Back Loop Road, up a. Uh, do you know where Goat Hill Road is and Springway? We're between the two of them. And there's a driveway that goes up to the top of the hill. And up there in that flat area, looking out at the glacier, is Landscape Alaska. Come up and see us. It's so nice. We're not in full swing yet. We're just getting started. But we're chatty. And we got the whole yard is filled with stuff. And we're gradually working our way through it, making it so it's really, really pretty. And there's a lot of things you do in the early springtime to your landscape. And one of the things is you, you know, you rake up all the winter debris and you clean stuff up and you pull dead branches off. And if you've used evergreens to cover your perennials and keep them dormant, you take those things away. And as you rake stuff around, you see the emerging tips of your little perennial plants. Be careful not to break them off, of course, but clean around them. And as soon as they come up out of the ground and you can see them, they're ready for a little springtime fertilizer. And it's good to use liquid feed with your granular fertilizer, too. Just a little watered-down fertilizer. They take it in right away. Right. And uh, they're, they're ready. You know, they have, they're using their stored energy to come up and come up out of the ground. But, but as soon as they do so... It's the middle of April. They've been dormant for a long time. And as soon as they get up out of the ground, they're ready to start photosynthesizing. They're going to spread their leaves out and start catching some prey. I mean, the sk- skunk cabbage is up as it an is. indication, you know? Skunk cabbage is pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So we have a bunch of roses that we care for that are coming up for their, uh, their springtime growth. The Rugosa roses, they're like the Sitka rose, and they're, they're the kinds that you can plant and not worry about at all. But other kinds of roses, more, more hybridized roses with bigger flowers and, and uh, many, many varieties, whether they be hybrid teas or shrub roses or, or hybrid perpetuals or old-fashioned China roses, all those things. There's lots of people around Southeast Alaska. What's an old-fashioned China rose? I've never even heard that expression. Tell me. An old-fashioned China rose is the one that has has large frilly flowers. The edges of the petals are frilly, and they come in clusters on the ends of branches. Uh huh. But okay. that was one of the clusters. They, what's the other word for that? Isn't there something like bunch roses or 
a more common name. I've just never heard them referred to as China roses. Well, China roses are the are the kind they brought into Europe and bred with their native roses in order to make the more modern roses. So roses a, have been around for a long time. Oh, 4,000 years in cultivation. Yeah. Yeah, you see pictures of old Chinese pictures. They got roses painted on them. Roses old and, Persian and pictures. peonies. Yep, roses and peonies. That's yeah. it. Those are the two the two most well-known ancient plants. Right. And they're both fragrant. And so there's all that that uh, esoteric about the taking the fragrance from the flowers and applying it to the people and how you develop all that technology. So this is a call-in show. And if you have questions, please interrupt David. That's right. <laughs> and ask him some questions. And, and the, the phone number is... 907 586 one eight hundred. There you go. And we are ready for springtime, and we're ready for phone calls. So, yes, give us a call. And uh, coming in this week are uh, hundreds and hundreds of strawberries, and the strawberries that we've chosen this season to focus on are an ever-bearing strawberry called Seascape. And Seascape's a fairly recent kind of of strawberry. I mean, recent, right? Like thirty years old. So. <laughs> It was a, it's a pretty it was a, name. Yeah, and it's released by the University of California, but it's a it's a day neutral, so it blooms it, and blooms and fruits all summer long. Good morning, conversations. Hey, how's it going? I was listening in on your show, and you guys are a great source of knowledge. I thought I would ask you a question about aphids. Be a little bit louder if you can. Aphids. Oh yeah, I thought I would ask you a question about aphids. Okay. So the last the last few summers in my garden. Um, and around town, I've noticed an increase in aphids on plants. Uh, and not only what we're, you know, planting and putting in our garden, but also out on the fireweed and dandelions, everything. Right. And I wonder if you guys have noticed an increase in aphids. I don't know if it's climate change or just a seasonal thing, but what we can do about it, because it seems like once they're in, man, there's no getting rid of them. And I've noticed... Uh, you know, midsummer. I know we got a ways to go, but our fireweeds will be completely covered over in, in aphids. And just for context, I live kind of by the glacier in the valley. So I'll listen in on the radio, and maybe if you guys have any input on uh, aphid prevention or treatment when they do come in, or just thoughts on increasing aphids in Juneau. Yeah, I, thank you both very much. I really don't like aphids, so I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, thanks for calling. There, there is that about aphids. You know, once once the aphid population starts going, they're giving birth to pregnant young. That's exactly right. They don't need to do any mating. They don't lay any eggs. They give birth to live young that are already pregnant, and so aphids just produce tremendously, and. And as the days get longer, that symptom increases. Now, we have not seen an outbreak of aphids at our nursery. I, I'm not saying, I mean, in the wild edge where we live. Maybe it has something to do with being near the water or the, the more moist ground. Or I, I mean, I don't know. But there's certain plants that definitely attract them more than others. And those, the fireweed, just love, or they just love the fireweed, you know. And, and uh, they are. I'm sorry to say it. They're part of the vast cycle of life. You know, there's no way to, to deal with anything out there in the larger world. In your own garden and close to you, the uh, 
the industry has moved to raising beneficial insects, raising predatory insects that focus on aphids. And there are several large enterprises that really have, have come into this as a, uh, a big market force. And we began using the, the nematodes for insects that attacked the rhododendrons. But in the last couple of years, that, uh, that source has expanded their offerings tremendously. And so what are the insects they use besides ladybugs, which fly away? Right. Lady, <laughs> ladybugs are, you know, in, and in the ladybug family, the juvenile form of the ladybug, which doesn't look anything at all like that, is really the voracious feeder. The ladybug itself is kind of flies around and goes, does the mating, but they're not really the insect eater. It's the juvenile form of that that does. And there are half a dozen aphid predators. And one of the most interesting things is that you can buy these little packets that have have uh, predatory insect eggs in them, and you hang them in the in your greenhouse or in your garden or in your fireweed. And well, you know the fireweed. There's nothing you can do about that. I'm, I'm just sorry. asking. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> you know, so, uh, and, and really, if you want to make sure that they're not in your garden area, you have to cut that stuff down and move it away from you. So, years ago when we were installing the State Museum landscape, one of our vine maples got absolutely inundated with aphids. And it was a big tree. I mean, for a new planted tree, it was 10 feet tall and six feet or seven feet wide. And we absolutely encased it in plastic and release 10,000 aphids inside the bag. Ladybugs. Oh, ladybugs. Yes. That's right. So they go after the aphids and it did work. It worked. Yeah. Well, it was the thing we could do right then, you know, and, and uh, before it got too hot All because right. the plastic would have cooked it, but we were able to control it like that. But using insects to fight insects is really, you know, that's, that's the, the smart way to do it. Before they started fooling around with chemicals, that's what they used to do. They did, and uh, before World War II, there were l- large insect-raising farms in all the agricultural areas, and they raised things that would attack uh, aphids, among others, but lots of, uh, like, scale insects. There were little tiny wasps that went after scale insects, um, and that was, that was what people did in order to control pests. That was a great, a great question. Thank Thanks. you so much for calling. And we're all really interested in that. And 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 on that same topic. Well, some of us are more interested than others. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm fascinated by it, and I look around at the forest. You know, the last couple of years has seen this this infestation in our forests. Yeah, you know, with the uh, a lot of the hemlock yeah. sawflies and the black-headed budworms. There's a lot of damaged trees out there. A lot of damaged trees, and you know, I was looking at at some just the other day in somebody's yard, and they had. Uh, they had mountain hemlocks and western hemlocks and Sitka spruce trees, and, <coughs> excuse me. And they had all had tremendous evidence of the damage on the tops. Tops were real thin, lots of dead branches on them. I, I mean, lots of dead branches. The ends of branches are totally bare. So maybe it's misinformation but i've been told that trees for the most part will recover from that damage that they will grow new needles and come back but i imagine that just like any thing that gets truly inflicted with 
a disease of some sort, whether it's bugs or whatever it is, mm-hmm. they won't come back. You just have to give it time to see what's going to happen. Is that well? Hopefully, this heavy winter was uh, was an effect on it. One of the things that holds the uh, sawflies in in uh, abeyance, kind of, is there is a fungus that grows on the hemlocks when it's really moist. And the budworms eat that fungus, and it kills them. So in rainy years, there's a good effect there. But the last couple of years it's have been, been pretty rainy. Well, not rainy enough. Well, it's been too rainy to mow lawns. There is that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your mower sinks. You know, it's not that it won't run. Hopefully, it has run its course. <laughs> I don't know. We don't really know. We won't know for another month yet. When the new buds start opening and the, we can see what kind of insect pressure there is on it. Well, personally, I think the world's changing so much that all you can do is deal with it day by day. On every level. On every level. There's no question about it. Okay. Okay, so we were talking about roses. And we have some really pretty roses coming. Are they coming in this shipment? Yes. The They're ones coming that this, are the, they'll be here Wednesday. That are the roses that are not the hardy rugosas, but they're meant for people who have the ability to store them protected through the winter. But they are continuous blooming roses. Continually blooming. We have a few climbing roses. We have some miniature roses. We have what are called arbor roses, which are ones that you can train over an arbor or a frame Mm -hmm. that don't, don't climb, that have to be bent over and tied into place. Just a few of every of several different kinds of them. I'm we, so excited. We love roses. There's no doubt about it. And if any of you that are listening have some tips or hints or rose-growing experiences you'd like to share, give us a call or come and talk to us. And uh, we're very, very interested in it. And if you have success stories and you know some kinds of roses that are going to do really well, What let about us the know. rose that Mary Lou has down I there? I know that. Is that a Canadian... I don't Explorer? know what it is. No, it's not. It's not one of those new Canadian explorers. It's a really old rose. It's really great. Big, <coughs> big climbing rose. Red, uh-huh. red, red, red with red. the yellow centers. It's a lovely rose. You know, I love it when we discover some treasures, successful little, thing. little treasures. Right, like that uh, dogwood in Douglas. Yeah, the Coosa dogwood. There's a Coosa dogwood growing against somebody's house in Douglas, facing south. Uh huh. And it's a flower, summer flowering dogwood. It's that beautiful. creamy white, creamy yellow color flowers on it. Mm-hmm. It is. It's absolutely beautiful. It just gobsmacked me when I saw it the first time. You drive by it and you drive by it and you drive by it unless it happens to be the day it's in bloom. Well, it's in bloom actually for quite a while. Uh, and then suddenly, oh, look at that. <laughs> yes. It's kind of like the wild crab apples. You know, you drive along in the country, you're up and down the road, you don't ever think about it. And then suddenly, one week, the crab apples come into bloom and they're everywhere. And they're beautiful. Along the sides of the roads, in the wetlands, along the edges. One of the places they're really, really concentrated is on the old highway by the the DOT headquarters. Right. (coughs) Well, good. Okay, so uh, we're going to be making new tops on our evergreens this afternoon. We're going to be. We were talking about pruning. So, what about uh, perennials? The perennials that you would dig up and divide now would be the late blooming perennials right that's David? the way it works you divide them at the opposite end of this growing season from when so they, they have flower. plenty of time to grow on and be ready for the season and so that would be things like daylilies that's right ligularia rogergia you uh, would you do astilbes you would would you do delphinium yes delphinium you do if those you did it right, now, right you know, now you don't want to wait as soon as they come up 
I see them start to unfold. They're not even green yet. They're mm-hmm. kind of pale green they're and just, just buried in the through. Right. So what you do for, for dividing perennials like this is you dig the whole thing up out of the ground. And they're big. It's true. I mean, Ginger's, Ginger's astilbe that she's had for, I don't know, 30 years are probably, it's, a, it's at least a two-man lift. Oh, yeah. With, with, with something to, like a cloth that they can each have a side to to be able to pick it up and move it. Right. It's not a, oh, gee, I can do it by myself kind of thing. They are amazing, aren't they? And and <coughs> so then you, you dig them up, and you kind of tip them up on their sides, and you get a, a hose and wash the dirt so out So you have to do them. this someplace where it can make a big mess. It's a big you mess. You don't want to do it on your front porch. No. <laughs> or, or, that's right. You don't want to do it on the deck. And sometimes what you have to do is to dig them up and set them in a tub of water and let them soak for a while to get so it So the water all dissolves around, the dirt dissolves around them. Right. And then you're looking at the top of them and every, all these perennials have what are called buds or eyes. And that's the place where a new stem is growing up out of. And when you're dividing them, you have to divide them so that there's several eyes in the piece you take right. out. Right. Don't divide them down to the smallest common oh, no. denominator. Right. Because you could lose them. It's right. better to have them in groups, but if it's really big, you should get three or four, five groupings out of a really big perennial. And if the perennial is too big to dig up and do that, lots of times you sharpen your flat bladed shovel and you cut a wedge out of it. Something that, that's something that's, say, it's uh, three feet, three and a half feet in diameter, you know, like a big take old edge, Take edges off of it. Take the edges off of it. Cut down there. Really what you're going to do is to try and get the old dead part out of the middle, mm-hmm. you know, but cutting them in wedges like a pie will will do that. So, you know, I, I have a few house plants, and my orchid was just about ready to bite the dust, and they have lots of nodes, uh-huh. right? And uh, pseudo bulbs, they call them. And I uh, started watering, and I, well, I've been watering it, but I really started diligently feeding it through the winter time. And all those what I thought were dead buds have just exploded in growth, and it's like five times the size it was. So I think I'm going to divide it this summer. Oh boy! Well, let me know when you do. I want to watch. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited. I'll help. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> you know, and, and all that stuff. It's, it is fascinating to dig those things up and manage them it's fascinating to work with them in the yard it's fascinating to see how you can can uh, manipulate how you can reproduce them how you can can uh, influence them for people who are interested in that you know which you and i are and there are many people out there that you know love gardening it is it keeps you in touch with the world it has a level of interaction that you get nowhere else you know and just maybe with your animals and 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 also i'm sure that people that fish regularly are in that cycle too sure sure you know, sure sure participating in the growth of the world i mean the, everybody finds their own way i'm not saying that it's not mm-hmm. the only way so let's talk a little bit about lawn treatment in the springtime oh, okay okay they've got a lot of dead leaves on them well, I imagine this year there's going to be a tremendous amount of dead moss. And thatch. And thatch in the lawns. And thatching it would be a good thing. Tear all that stuff out and then reseed it and fertilize it. And, you know, a lot of times people want to kill the moss and put 
iron sulfate. Iron, iron sulfate on it. Yeah, you can do that. I don't moss think. out or, or not rid moss, but moss out. I think on really most of our lawns have really bad soil, and I don't think it does any good. It, from my experience, <laughs> it, the moss will eventually come back no matter what. I mean, not oh, immediately. Of course it's going to come back. Because this the, is moss country. the lawn doesn't drain, and so it, it puddles up and moss grows. <coughs> but if you want to do that, you certainly can. But you can also just take a thatcher and thatch the heck out of it and get it down to bare earth and uh, reseed it, fertilize it, lime it, mm-hmm. and say, hallelujah, let's go. And another thing people do is they raise it. They uh, do that thatching, and then they put an inch of sand on it. And the grass grows, the new grass comes up through the sand and roots into it. And if you do that every year, pretty soon your lawn is three or four inches higher than it was, and it's, it's growing on sand, and that will drain much better. All right, that's true. That's true. You know, I'm taking care of acres. So it's, I know. it's not happening with me. Yeah, and I have a bad attitude. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Okay, so Landscape Alaska is having a pre-season sale. And this is not everything that we have by any means. But if you look on our website, there's a button that says sale button or pre-season sale button. And these are things, special things. Either the, the new material that's coming in, that's coming in in small formats, or... The, the one or two of a kind that we have over the winter. And some exotic perennials. And some very exotic perennials, including gentians, you know, which are just the most beautiful things in the world. Or little evergreen trees or all kinds of stuff. But look at it and see. And these are things you can purchase now and pick up after the 1st of May. So it's landscapealaska.com. Dot com. <coughs> okay. And uh, there's... There's this format coming that we've been dealing with with the Canadians for the last few years where we have plants that are going to get really large, really fast, that are in, they're kind of primed for growth. They're meant to go into somebody else's nursery and go right into a bigger can and grow on fast. But we've been buying them and putting them out in the landscape, and it really has flourished like that. Yeah, they, they come with a big set of roots, and they grow really quickly. And you don't have very much invested in them, you know, and you can see if you really like them and then, you know, buy them all you can. And if you're going to put some kind of a a hedge or a large area in, this is the perfect thing. Well, we're coming to the end of our show. If you want to reach out to us, you can do that through our website at landscapealaska.com. Or you can stop Margaret or I in the grocery store and talk to us in the aisle. And uh, we'll be glad to talk about it. We'll be back next week. We'll talk to you again next week. Until then, this is Mark and Dave from Landscape Alaska, and we're wishing you all happy gardening.